This is TV8 My Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. It was so easy to have an effect because the majority of the writers and artists who come before us had never thought of challenging any of these assumptions regarding the superhero genre. They had thought that perhaps at best it might be a, a cynical joke about superheroes. But yes, there is that quality in stuff like Watchmen. There is that element of, wouldn't these characters be a joke if they were in the real world? But there's also um, a poignance to the characters. Wouldn't these characters be somehow kind of sad and touching in the real world? And there's no reason why we can't exploit all of these things. You're listening to TV Ate My Dinner. My name is Sean, and I'm sitting here with Brooks and Greg. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello. How's or it going? Good evening. Good morning. Or good morning. It depends on when you're listening. That's the beauty of podcasts. You choose when to listen. Tonight, we're going to talk about comic books, because we're big nerds, and it's been a, you know, we, we haven't hit this yeah. nerd subject yet. <laughs> As an underground medium. Speaking and I'm gonna, of extremely geeky crap, <laughs> we're going to talk about comic books. I know. You really don't get much nerdier than comic books. I mean, I love comic books. And the funny thing about comic books is much like Star Wars used to be before the prequels, comic books have a kind of a weird edge. Like they, they draw the line between cool and nerd. And that nerds love them and they've always been a nerdy thing, especially if you're older. But look at all the big Hollywood movies that are made from comic books that are accepted commonly as being cool there's a mainstream crossover there and people go to see x-men or spider-man and no one thinks well you're a nerd if you go see spider-man all the cool people go to see that but then they go to the store and buy a spider-man comic book yeah right yeah it, it really breaks down to girls you can get a girl to go see the spider-man movie with you but is, if a girl finds out you read comic books, that's that's going to be a conversation. <laughs> like that's that, that's something you're going to have to come back down from. This is something I can say as a truth in my life. I've known a lot of nerdy girls. I've known girls that are very cool about nerd stuff and will go see nerd movies. I've even known girls that will play role-playing games. But I can honestly say I've never met a girl that collects comics. I've never met one. It's the truth. I mean, I'm not saying they don't exist, but, you know, I, I feel like it's more likely I run into Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, because there are probably more of them. Like there are probably Bigfoots. Yeah, big, big feet. feet. More, more there. big feet than. Uh, There's more common Bigfoot sightings than there are comic girl I, sightings. Yeah, you've at least met somebody that saw a Bigfoot, or said they did. I've never met anybody that even says they knew a girl that collected comics. So I don't know what it is about comics that that just don't appeal to girls. But apparently they don't. Or at least they didn't when I was young. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Things could have changed completely by now. I think it, it, it's one of those things. It's like no, it's not like it doesn't happen, but it definitely that's the dividing line. That was, They're the exception that proves the rule if you meet a girl who is a comic book geek. Lots of geek girls. Not a lot of comic book yeah, geek Yeah, I've girls. met lots of nerd girls that, that like nerd stuff, but just not that. I don't know what it it's, is. It's a weird kind of thing. It's funny. I've, I, I did manage to read. Slaughterhouse Five this weekend, which I was happy about. Which is not a comic. I wasn't saying that, but the Kurt Vonnegut novel. Has you not? You hadn't? You not? No, read and it I before? kept and I almost I started reading it in college, and then 
then I ended up writing the paper after reading the first chapter, so I didn't finish reading it. I, I really ruined myself in college. I, I screwed myself out of an education I'm still paying for, thinking I was pretty smart. <laughs> now I'm just reading all those books yeah. anyway now. Now I'm having to do it on a Saturday because I work. But what, when I was reading, I, I didn't just—I wasn't mentioning the Slaughterhouse Five to just say that I'm, I, you know, I read a book <laughs> and get excited <laughs> about it. Congratulations! But it, it sort of struck me because it's such a good book. It struck me, you know, how prevalent it is in in some of these great novels to have like the, these literary antiheroes, and and, it, and when you see in movies and stuff, you don't see them represented properly. Like movies, people think now that an antihero is like one of these cool sort of. It's like Blade Runner or whatever, it's a heroic figure who has heroic capabilities, but he's not nice in the way that the conventional hero is. But that's not a real anti-hero. An anti-hero is like, you know, in Slaughterhouse-Five, you know, Billy Pilgrim is an anti-hero. Not antithetical to the idea of heroism, but they're not capable of being heroic in that sense. You know, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing superior in their ability. They're average guys. That's a real anti-hero. And I think what's funny about comic books is they represented the opposite about that, you know, the superhero. Yeah. But if you read like some of the cool underground comics now, that's where you really see the actual anti-heroes. Like these guys are writing comic books now that sort of appeal to those more literary sensibilities. And I don't think you see that in any other medium. It's kind of sad that comic books have sort of as a medium have elevated. But because of that stigma, like we were talking about, you can't even find a girl that reads a comic. And she reads Sandman, and then they won't even call it a comic. They're like, no, no, no. Sandman is not yeah, a comic. Graphic novel. Yeah, I call them graphic novels. Sequential art. I know. I call them pictorial <laughs> sequences of events. It's like, I don't care what you call it. Yeah. It's a comic book. That's just a name. Like I read – I was reading a book that Will Eisner had written, and he's like the, the guru of, of sequential art. He's the guy. You know, He was the creator of the spirit. He's, he was making comic books that were more sophisticated way before you know most people but even in his book and the one i was talking about the scott mcleod book the understanding comics book both of them there seem to be a lot of sections in these books about how comic is an art form you know not talking about the form of the art but actually making the case oh it's art <laughs> it's like and it's kind of sad because yeah. it's like okay getting past that let's talk about the technique of the comic book and it seems like they're they're always sort of following this one-two punch. Always having to defend themselves. Yeah, they never get to really discuss their craft because they're having to explain to people why it is a craft. And that's kind of sad. They're always saying, comics are being drawn on the caves of prehistoric yeah. man. Look at the stick figures. That's a comic book. Like, all right, man, I get Which it. Which is, and true, that Scott McCloud talks about a lot of stuff. And I agree with it, but I also agree that those early renderings were the beginning of movies and TV, too. Like, all pictorial art forms. Yeah, all you know, visual great. art form. But, you know, you don't have, you know, stop drilling. You struck oil. I get it. But I think, you know, these underground comics now are like at the forefront of this stuff. And it's like this isn't a new thing. They've been doing underground comics forever. But I think, you know, you read uh, American Splendor, like Harvey Picar's stuff. And that's a real anti-hero. It's, bi it's, you know, autobiographical. He's talking about himself. He's talking about everyday things. It's like Ray Carver, you know. Yeah, I call him Ray, you know. Most people call him Raymond. But yeah. we'll go back. Me and Ray, Ray. I used to call him Uncle Ray Ray when we get drunk. He wouldn't answer, of course, because he's never met me. <laughs> yeah, really. And uh, has no idea that I exist. But when I say we, I mean me. And when I say him, I mean the mayor. 
But I think of that stuff, you know, like, and I think these are the guys who are created because you don't see that in movies as much. Movies are always because it's, I guess, you know, they have these actors, and even when the actors are wanting, you know, even when they want to make a movie about a, a, a quote unquote ugly person or an unconventional person, they hire some big celebrity actor and they ugly them up. Yeah, it's true. We talk about that with girl actors all the time because that is the way for a girl actor to get an Oscar, to win an Oscar. is ugly up. Yep. And guys have to become handicapped. Guys, well, mentally handicapped. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. So they, they have to play mentally challenged, but the girls, just they just have to do makeup. They just have to play ugly. I play ugly every day. Yeah. How come I'm not getting any Oscars? My Oscar. Because we don't have to work at it. I'm playing ugly right now. It's not a stretch for us. And by Oscar, I, I, mean, I mean women. <laughs> but it's true. It's a visual medium where you don't have to have an actor portray the part. And I think they can do, like, they, they draw these characters. And instead of, it used to be, you do these stylized characters and they were super, super men. And now they're doing stylized characters that are sort of real anti-heroes. I think, I like, I like to see that because I think you've got these, these guys, like, I don't know if you ever read like Too Much Coffee Man or anything like that. But a real good satirist, and and that's what they like to do, and they they express that in their art. And it's funny how many I can think of a lot of old books that are that way. I read a book by Philip K. Dick called Confessions of a Crap Artist, and that's all it is. It's like total anti-hero, like just sad, almost uh, you could almost say a static character. I'm not sure if I would call him or or Billy Pilgrim from Slaughterhouse Five to be static, but you know. When I was younger, I didn't relate to those stories. Just like when I was younger, I was drawn to superhero stories. And now as I'm older, I do relate to those stories. Like, they don't seem implausible to me because I get how you you feel trapped in your life. You know, you feel like all victories are small victories. That kind of thing. You're bringing me down. Yeah, excuse me while I go put this pistol in my mouth. Well, I didn't mean it that way, but what I mean, there's there's a positive (laughs) angle to that too, though. I mean... Let's talk about Superman. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I was like, can we not talk yeah. about Aquaman now? Yeah, really. <laughs> Aquaman is a hero. Yeah, you said comic books. <laughs> I've got a whole stack of super friends right in front of me, and so far I can't even break in to the conversation. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk, we talk about Archie. I got, I got a bunch <laughs> yeah, of Archie really. I thought we were going to do, uh, what is it, Betty versus Veronica. You're talking about Raymond Carver. I think it's interesting, though, that some comic strips in particular get all kinds of credit as being art. Because Charles Schultz died, I guess, relatively recently. And people won't stop talking about how profound Peanuts is. And I like Peanuts. Everyone likes Peanuts. But I don't see the profound art in it that, that I also don't see in, say, Spider-Man or something. There's lots of stuff in that that I think is true to life, especially the earlier days. I have to say, I don't get that one either. Because it seems like, you know, ever since Charles Schultz died, everybody's been talking about, like, all the inner pain that's reflected in a Peanuts. And I can see some of the yeah. angst in uh, Charlie Brown and stuff. And I guess that may have been groundbreaking in the 50s i mean because we weren't around who knows what things were like back then but but it's it's sunday cartoon strips comic strips whatever you want to call them they seem to get a lot more respect oddly enough maybe because they're syndicated in real newspapers well because they're a newspaper it's a comic book form that actually reaches a mainstream audience are you telling me like family circus is better than uh, a Sandman or something like that. I won't defend the family circus. Yeah, Prince Valiant. Yeah, I was say. But you, uh, you Peanuts, yeah, I don't care how cute those kids are in their little jammies. All right, kids do say some some cutesy stuff. I don't find the family circus to be that entertaining, like like Kathy. 
All right. I don't get it. I'm not saying that it's not art or whatever, it's, but it, it's not mine. Well, that's because you're not a single woman, probably in her 40s or whatever. But yeah, I'm not a 40-year-old overweight woman. <laughs> Maybe if you were. Yeah. Maybe I'd get it. If you're out there listening and you're a 40-year-old overweight woman, yeah, let us know if, if Kathy speaks to you. If you listen to this show at all and you're a woman, I want I want your feedback. <laughs> yeah. Just just email us and say yes. Yeah, just just yes. Yeah, send a subject line. Not even any text yeah. in a body necessary. Are there any women in our audience? Just to re yes. But but like most artists, I mean, people loved him when he was alive. But all the praise comes after he dies. You know what I mean? That always happens. It when seems they, unf- now unfortunate. He, now he's a profound artist. Yeah. You know, of course, people like the commercialism of of the peanuts. You know, ahead of that. But I, I will say this, though, that the one thing that I do like about the Peanuts is, you know, talking about antiheroes. So who's a bigger antihero than Charlie Brown? I mean, he is just the, the regular hard luck guy. Absolutely. Nothing ever goes right for him. But he never gives up. He's no cynic. I know. I like his spunk. The cut of your jib, as they say. <laughs> so what are some good comics? Clue us in. Because, you know, I have not read a new comic in... 10 years. Well, I mentioned American Splendor is not a new comic, although they still do American Splendor from time to time. And if you get a chance, American Splendor did get made into a really good movie where they got a good Hollywood actor to play in it. Paul Giamatti oh, that's plays cool. Harvey P. Carr in the American Splendor movie. That's a great movie. But um, there's a comic that I like a lot called Box Office Poison by, I think the guy's name is Alex Robinson. Let me look it up. I hate to plug people and say the wrong thing. Any kin to me? Yeah, exactly. All as all Robinsons are. Are you guys kin? That's how we say it in the South. Yeah. Who's kin? Yeah, I am not Kim. <laughs> what? Who? Kin. Kin. Kinfolk. <laughs> Kindred. Kindred's the nerd way of saying kin. <laughs> Kin's the redneck way, and Kindred exactly. is the nerd way. That might be a nerd exactly. alert right there. But box office poison. This is when I was talking before when we were saying you know. You should delve into the underground wells to look for new talent in mainstream media. They should be looking at stuff. I think Box Office Poison would make a fun TV show. You could package that up and it'd be like, you know, they got all these teeny bopper shows and all that. It'd be one of those kind of 20-something dramas I think you could do out of Box Office Poison because that's all it's about. It's about you – know, it's kind of like – I would recommend it to people because it's it kind of reminds me of people I know, you know, in, a, in our situation. But it's a good book. There are also some classic mainstream comics. Are all the newer ones that you like kind of like these uh, real-life character story kind of things? Not not the fantastic sci-fi or superhero kind of stuff. It's all like real-life people living their day-to-day. Because a lot of the comics I see when I go into the fancy comic stores now, it's funny how much comic stores have changed. You know, Now you go in there and they're all not graphic novel-looking things. They're not just the trashy places it used to be. But... But they all look like they're, you know, I went out on a date Friday with this girl. We got pizza and stuff, and it's it's just day-to-day kind of stuff. There are those. What I like about Box Office Poison is it's entertaining. It's like watching a movie, and I think that's where they – it's sort of cheeky where he gets the name is that he wrote this thing that sort of wouldn't get made into a movie because it's about, like, regular people. But I, it's not bland to me. I, I find it entertaining. But those aren't the only comics I like. There's there's a bunch of – I like conventional stuff too like there's a comic called the walking dead right now that's just uh, zombies oh really now see that sounds cool and i'm so excited about it because i always thought zombies would be awesome to do a series about because it's such an ongoing thing you could cover what just like zombies hanging out no it's people surviving (laughs) in a zombie world 
Yeah, it is exactly that. It is your typical zombie scenario, but it's not over in 90 minutes. It's like, you know, it's ongoing. So it's where do they go? What do they do? Like long winters where they don't have to worry about the zombies because the zombies are mostly out in the open frozen, you know? Oh, interesting. So they have that time. And, you know, of course, most of the conflict is with other people. Where I where I am in the comic right now is like they've holed up in a prison because it's the safest place to fortify. Well, that's kind of cool. Kind of, kind of sad and bleak, but it's a really good comic because I like zombies, obviously. And there's a bunch of mainstream comics that are superhero esque that that are groundbreaking. Uh, did you ever read Watchmen? Yeah, I, I read it when I was a kid. I haven't read it since, but I've been meaning to reread it. Watchmen is probably one of the most influential comics on mainstream. Like I, I was reading an article in Entertainment Weekly, and all these people who do movies and TV shows were talking about Watchmen. Oh, no doubt. And how Watchmen influenced them. And these guys, you know, they're not making comic book movies. They make real movies, but they read comics at the time Watchmen came out. And everyone says Watchmen is the com- the pivotal comic in the mainstream. Probably because it, it introduced so many adult themes into this otherwise kid world of, of superheroes. I mean, these guys are like alcoholics and stuff. Serious business. And it's it's horribly bleak in a lot of ways. Terrible people. Yeah. And it's a superhero comic. It's an indictment of the superhero concept. It's really interesting. And, you know, that was back in a time DC put that out. They're like the biggest com- company ever, them and Marvel. That was way before adult-oriented, sophisticated comics were the norm. Like, it seems like now they write comics for adults more than kids. Yeah, that's unfortunate. You know, that wasn't. That wasn't the thinking back then. Well, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, look at the subject matter. Kids, like you said, don't, don't want to look at this bleak type of stuff. And it's above kids' heads. I mean, I think there is still a market for kids who read comics, but I don't... Yeah, I definitely think it's for adults. I mean, because kids nowadays have so many other types of media that they can watch. That Yeah, I think that the age of kids reading comics may be coming to an end. What a shame if that's true. Because I think that kind of stuff doesn't appeal to kids as much. Hopefully it's not, but I think that, but I think it might be, but I I don't, I wouldn't discount having sophisticated themes as saying that it's not good for kids. I remember when I was 10 years old and Alan Moore, who wrote Watchmen started writing Swamp Thing, which was like, you know, me and my brother's favorite comic It's still one of my favorite comics. But when he started writing Swamp Thing, his stories and ideas just, you know, blew you away. And as a kid, you're like, what is this? This is crazy to me. Like it was the depth of, of the storytelling was so much, you know, more than you were than you were prepared to deal with as a kid. But I'm glad for that because that was my introduction to sophisticated storytelling was in comics. It was in Swamp Thing. And then when stuff like Watchmen came along, I was prepared for Watchmen. And then I don't know, one of the things that came out at the same time also DC was The Dark Knight Returns. Also one of the most pivotal comics. Well, so that's probably my big introduction into comic books was was that I, I wasn't a big comic book reader when i was a kid actually it was probably when i hit preteen that, that i really started getting into comic books and 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 the dark knight returns and uh year one that you know the, the the other big batman comic book was you know were probably the two that really got me into into reading comic books and that was frank miller i liked dark knight a lot when i was a kid but you know i'm kind of upset at it now in a way because i, I look at it as having been a, a good product that spawned a lot of unfortunate things like now i think things are too gritty and too dark and too violent and i think in a way everyone's trying to emulate what they thought was cool in dark night back at that time 
after that came out, that's when, you know, Robin got killed shortly after that. That's when they're like, well, we got to step it up a notch. Everything's got to be gritty. Everything's got to be cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I miss well, we the were talking stuff, about that know? before. That was that time, like the 90s, you know, the late 80s into the 90s was where people started thinking revamping things, meant making it really gritty and really dark. The Dark Knight really, really did spawn that. I was saying making it like Batman, even Spider-Man and you know, those types of things. Yeah, that's when right around that time is when Venom popped up and all these other characters. So, like I'm rereading uh, the original Spider-Mans now, oddly enough. Because, you know, Sean reads real literature and I read comic books at night. I read the comics, too. I'm not like I, I bought like a collection of the original, like the, the original Spider-Man issues. That's the most fun ever. Yeah, that's what I've got. I've got the essential or whatever. The first 20 something issues I've been reading. them. I was like, man, these things are great. Oh, yeah. I don't want to sound pretentious at all. One of my favorite things to read ever is the, the original Silver Surfers. <laughs> like I've got a I got a big collection of those. I love it. I mean, I think these things are great. You know, I like the light tone, but they're also interesting. I mean, they're not retarded like a lot of the early Superman and stuff, where it's just too stupid. I mean, they actually have like, you know, real life problems and things. They were trying to be relevant. But it's not gritty, and I miss it. Well, tripping from comic books into movies, that's kind of why I enjoyed the the Fantastic Four movies so much. Because there were superhero movies that didn't try to be a Batman movie or try to be like a dark, foreboding movie. Yeah, they weren't trying to be dark at all. They they weren't too stupid for adults to like it, but they're also movies you wouldn't be sad to take your kid to, you know? Right. I like those movies a lot. I think that's what we need in superheroes. We don't want them to all be gritty because they're supposed to represent some level of wholesomeness. Batman's a sort of step away from that. And Batman's, it's fine for Batman to be darker because it's kind of a darker concept. But I just wish that Superman got killed at that same time, roughly. I think if you're worried about kids not reading comics, it's probably because comics aren't written for kids. When I was a kid, I read comics and they were written for me and it worked. And if you had more adult kind of stuff like Alan Moore coming in, you know, that was cool, too, because he wasn't writing over your head. He was writing smart stuff that you could get. Yeah, I don't remember not getting it when I was a kid. I feel like, and it's sad, it's like the same thing is happening in toys, you know, because I also delve into the world of, of action figures. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Also something you don't find a lot of chicks in. Yeah. You don't find a lot of chick toy collectors either. It's a good thing you're already married. But you know what you don't see? Is when you go down the toy aisle, you don't see toys that look like kids would want them. You see toys that look like they're made for people like me. They look, like they look good on a shelf. They look like something good for display. They're statues. Just recently, thankfully, I, I see these things now. They look like the big play school kind of dudes. They're making a lot of these guys now for, for Star Wars. and Yeah, my brother's kids are nuts about those. Also, the, the Marvel comic characters all have them now. They have like scuba diving Spider-Man and stuff, and they're just ridiculous. Something that a grown-up like me would, wouldn't want to hang on the wall but kids would probably eat it up well you notice also that those are the affordable toys if you look if you look close at those yeah and thank god for that you know they need to do that with comics too that and and maybe they are and i'm not aware of it but they need to kind of bring it back down to the kids man oh man no doubt because if kids like it they'll grow up into grown-ups that collect them and it'll perpetuate the market which is what which is what we did they, what happens when our generation dies out people you got to think into the future yeah that'll be the end that'll be the end of comics <laughs> I was actually reading an article that was talking about exactly that. It was saying how the comic book companies are really working hard to keep these monthly titles going because so many people, such as myself, don't buy monthly comics. I mean, good Lord, they're like $3 an issue now. I know. What kids buying $3 comics for one issue, like 48 pages or less? And But so guys like me, we're buying the trade paperbacks. 
and that seems to be the bigger the bigger market is in these trades, you know, which now everyone's calling graphic novels, whether or not they're a graphic novel. And I can't even find comics. Just the other day, oddly enough, and this is unrelated to the show, I wasn't thinking about this, but we had to go into a pharmacy. Used to be an Eckerd's, now it's Rite Aid or something. They're all buying each other. I can't keep track of, mm, I was gonna say that. of all these... Um, Whatever happened to Revco? Yeah, it'll be something else next But month. anyway, we went into a, a drugstore to pick up medicine or something. And then I, I was commenting on how I used to buy all my comics at the local Eckerd's. That's before we had a comic store in, in, in the town I grew up in. They had a comic rack, you know, one of the little spinny ones. And that's where I bought all my comics. And I, I, I have not seen one of those in like 10 years. I don't think you can buy comics anymore at, at grocery stores or stuff like, like that. Well, that may not that may be true, actually. Back in the days where I briefly owned my own comic store, we actually bought all of our stuff from the same places where, you know... You owned a comic store? Very briefly. And we had one of those racks, too. And, you know, we bought from, like, a new the same people that sold, like, newspapers and all that. But one of the big things, if you were getting from a major distributor like Diamond, who does, like, most of the major distribution to comic book stores, was, you know, that was... Those were direct sales. You notice if you ever – this is going to be a nerd alert. There's no getting around it. <laughs> if you ever notice, it, it, the comic books that you used to buy in the grocery store had a box on the cover for an ISBN number. UPC. Yeah, and, uh, yeah UPC number is what they call it, not ISBN. But if it's directly sold to the comic stores that didn't have that, it was always just like a picture of Spider-Man's face or something. You know, they filled the box with something. Yeah. And that was the difference. If it was directly sold to comic book stores, then it, it didn't go to these other stores. It didn't have to have that UP, UPC number. And I don't know that with comics being as expensive as they are and being a lark for stores that buy regular magazines, I'm not sure that many of those regular newsstand sales are happening anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see them. I mean, I'll see it. At, you see them in the bookstores. You'll see them in Barnes and Noble and Books a Million yeah. sometimes. Mostly they're selling graphic novel, trade paperback format. But you do still see them selling monthly titles like they do magazines. But I don't know about just going. I used to buy comics in the gas station. Yeah, man, you know. That's where I bought comics is the gas station. <laughs> a comic book store. I never even heard of a comic book store until I came, until I was about 11, 12 years old. I lived, you know, when I lived in Germany, you didn't have anything. And you bought them in the bookstore on base because my dad was in the Air Force. But when we came back, that was when I saw my first comic book store. And I was blown away by the idea of it. I was like, oh, my God. Because back then, you went to a gas station and they were like three or four months behind. So you could find back issues of stuff you missed. That's how you found back issues. Yeah, because they kept them until it sold out. Yeah, it was just on the rack. A gas station is where I bought my Star Wars number one. <laughs> Man, <laughs> see that's awesome. You must have been a little kid then, though. What was that seventy-seven? Yeah, I was. I was a little kid, and uh, I mean, of course, my uh, the copy I had. It's not. It wasn't my preservation copy because I, I kept it, but it was all, you know, it, all it was dog yeah, yeah, already and but, stuff. So, yeah. but that's that's what makes it awesome. That's the charm. That's even more yeah. awesome. You know, you wouldn't do that. Comics are too expensive when you buy them, and they become too valuable. Yeah, I miss that. Do you remember when they were making comics in these sealed bags? Like they had Spider-Man number one and it came in a sealed bag and no one, everyone was scared to open the bag. Mm -hmm. So you were literally buying a comic that you had no intention of reading. Yeah, that was totally the way it was with the Superman. Death. Yeah, the Death of Superman is like that. I actually have that Death of Superman issue with the black bag. I don't feel like any future anything, this is kind of a side note, but I don't feel like anything made 
in the last 10 years and forward into perpetuity. I don't feel any of that stuff will ever have any value because everyone thinks everything will have value. Because they make them for the market. They make it for collectible value. They, they meet the demand. Yeah. Yeah, there's not going to be any long-term value of something that they made enough copies for everyone who would ever possibly want one. Yeah. The only things that are valuable, and this goes back to Sandman too, some of the original issues of Sandman are very valuable still because when that book came out, they didn't know that it was going to take off. So they didn't put that, they didn't print as many copies as they do. But when Spider-Man number one came out when it had a new one or X-Men had a new series or they killed Superman, they're printing two million copies. And there's less than 100,000 actual avid comic book collectors in America, you know, and they're making two million copies. It's like there are going to be enough copies for anyone who ever wants it. Not only do they do that, but they also reprint them. Well, you have to because you can't read the original version. It's too busy being saved in a in a safety deposit box somewhere. But that also decreases the value because yeah, it, value used to also be created, and this doesn't happen at all. The value also used to be created because people actually wanted to obtain it to read. Yeah, they wanted actually to read wanted the story. They wanted to know what was in it. Yeah. And now everything gets uh, everything is getting reprinted, and that's great because the story lives. I'd rather that. But that's what's killing the value. Yeah, I like that too because there's no other way I could read all the original Spider-Mans. You know, I can't pop twenty thousand dollars yeah i'm not gonna buy spider-man number one (laughs) i'll never be that interested in spider-man ever i think the collecting of it is in a way kind of what killed it because comics when they were in the 60s and 70s were made to be read they were made to sell month to month so they, they made the stories fun to read and stuff that's what they were all about but then when people started collecting them they're like well now we got to make them to where they will become notable historically for some reason this issue has to we have to kill somebody we have to marry somebody well, they were also made to be thrown away which also yeah they were very disposable yeah they yeah. weren't made to last in right. the same sense yeah which is what and, added you know, to their collectability because they're harder to find yeah that's why if you can have one in good condition yeah that's why they're so valuable whereas now everyone buys three of them and puts them in a safe somewhere so they're always gonna everyone you know already has three of this thing how many people in the future are gonna want one that doesn't already have three of them yeah Yeah. as and i was talking when i did own my comic book store one of the saddest things not to me because it's bread and butter but i think about this now we had a guy who would come in and buy one of everything we had wow every time it came out well and he didn't even he didn't care anything about comics. He kept them in a shed behind his house because he fully believed that this was an investment. Oh, that's sad, man. Like, he fully believed he was putting his kids into college with these. Well, that guy is the reason the stuff has no value because people were hoarding them back then, even. Speculators ruin the market always. It's the Beanie Baby complex. Yeah. And the same way with, with action figures and baseball cards. Oh, and- Lord. Baseball cards, big time. Because the only thing, because it creates a short term value for it because speculators buy up everything there is and then the demand isn't met. But after five years, all those people have already bought their $50 copy of whatever, and the demand is met from then on. Well, it, it creates value for the people who actually create the comic, not for the secondary market, people who resell it. Oh, yeah. They sell a ton of them. Yeah. That's the idea. You know, establish some sort of collectible value to this. And the manufacturers are the ones who make the big money because at the outset, it's actually worth something, but then it goes down in value. There's no secondary market for it. Of course, at that point, they don't care. It goes down in value almost instantly. My comic book collection was my price. I enjoy when I was younger and I still don't have I'll tell you the most valuable comics I have probably by far besides probably the Sandman collection that I have when I was a kid I bought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 
when it first came out. Yeah, talk about a cultural phenomenon. You want to talk about an underground comic too? The very the first four issues of this comic were printed on on newsprint. That was the only paper stock. And they were huge. They were like magazine size. And they were they were yeah they were like whatever that size was. They were tabloid size because that was all they could print in. They had one color cover as black and white interior. The cheapest comic you could possibly make at that time. And I still have like a third print of issue one, and that's valuable because the print runs were so low. You're talking about the original print run. The first printing of Teenage Ninja Turtles was probably 2,000 copies. And that's like everyone in the world knows who they are now. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is a demand that will never be met because there will always be 2,000 people that wouldn't mind having a copy of that. But even that probably – I bet you – I bet you number one costs less than a thousand bucks. We could probably look that up. Mine are signed by Eastman and Laird. Cool. Kevin Eastman drew a picture of a turtle on. I my bet that gets one. you all the ladies. <laughs> it does. Puts the laid in ladies. <laughs> oh man, I wish I would love. Not because this is the kind of girl I'd want, just because I'd love to tell the story. If I could say, do you want to come back to my place and see my third printing? of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one <laughs> I just want to go back and tell my people that that so you happened. think there's a girl out there who would appreciate that well not a girl I'd want to bring back to my house probably I think that's where the reprint thing comes in that, that really hurts the value because I mean it takes out all those people who want it just to read we just want to see it yeah if you have a nice reprinted volume you don't care about owning and that's true for me in most cases I don't care about owning the original issue if I can read it it's interesting if just to think of the cultural impact comics have had, though. Just talking about like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's a huge thing with kids that are a little younger than us, guys that are probably in their mid twenties now. Mm-hmm. When they were growing up, that was that was everything to them. Because it actually had it actually reached its peak after the time that I was a fan. Yeah, you know, because the ca- cartoon came out a few years later. Then it had it had movies. It had huge toy line. Had all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. It just had a movie a couple of years ago. Like there was a new TMNT movie. Like so, that's pretty good. But the past few summers, I mean, you've had X Men, Spider Man. You know, these are huge movies. These are the biggest movies every year. Are these comic book movies? They're always the biggest movies. Yeah. What are the big movies of next summer? Iron Man is, is prepped for next summer. There's the next Batman is next summer. These are the big movies of next summer. You know, there's also some some ones that didn't do well. Some of the lesser ones like Ghost Rider, which was a terrible movie. Cool comic. Terrible movie. Well, I liked the movie okay, oh, but it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> let me let me paint a picture for you guys. There, the first line that the guy says as Ghost Rider in the whole movie. I don't know if you've seen the movie. I'm not going to try to explain it too much, but essentially this motorcycle guy gets uh, makes a deal with the devil, and at night he turns into this flaming skull monster thing that hunts down yeah, escape demons or whatever. Cool. Anyway. This demon guy is come, you know, comes up and threatens him, and he's like, blah, blah, blah. And he, the ghost rider points at him and goes, you're going down. <laughs> it's like that's the first line you hear from him the whole movie. I almost laughed out loud, and then I don't think they wanted me to. I think they wanted me to go, oh, that's tough. But I almost literally laughed out loud when he said that. It was so bad. Yeah, they phoned in the writing of the Ghost Rider dialogue, that's for sure. Because it's like such a cool idea, like this guy running around, his head's on fire and stuff. That's pretty awesome. That's about the worst line I can imagine saying in a tough guy moment. I mean, that's that's just about as bad as I can imagine. It's hard to... I've seen so many bad action movies. 
Even the Seagal movies that they're still making are better than that. He still has some lines every now and then. You're going down. I imagine if if you in a situation talk tougher than a movie, yeah, then that movie's really <laughs> without hurt. even meaning to. I'm like you know making cereal in the morning. I accidentally they say things tougher than that. <laughs> You're going down, pops. But at any rate, <laughs> Spider-Man. Who doesn't know who Superman is and Spider-Man? Even before the movies, girls know who these things are because they're huge cultural influences. Yeah. So I don't know why comics don't get more respect as a cultural force than they do. I think they're starting to because of these movies. And I think stuff. they're like television in the sense that. You know, 90% of comics, there are a lot of really bad comics. I won't say 90%, but there are a lot of comics. And there's good superhero comics, too. I like a lot, I like superhero comics. But, you know, most superhero comics represent what most people think of when they think of comics. And a lot of those are just awful. And probably, probably more than not. I won't say 90%, but uh, probably more than not. I actually think awful. comic books are probably going to get all the respect they're ever going to get. And because the characters that that are ever going to be part of the fabric of American pop culture are already there. There aren't any untapped ones. Not really. I mean, they'll be they'll be the ones that are the fads, like the like the turtles or They keep going back and finding these more obscure ones like they they just recently did that V for Vendetta movie. That was a good comic. Yeah, and they made a decent movie out of it. Another Alan Moore comic. He's such a good writer that his stuff always carries over. I'm talking about like the Supermans and the Batmans, those those type. I, I just don't think so. The icons, yeah. I don't know if yeah. we have I don't even think they've made an icon in the last 10, 15 years that I've heard I of. Mean, I mean, look at Superman. The last Superman movie, he, he almost he was almost like God. I mean, the way they, they treated him. Well, I'm not sure there's room for another superhero icon because if you think about it, the superheroes that exist, like Spider-Man and Batman and Superman, they all represent something. I guess, but even like Wolverine's really popular now, and he's um he was a creation of like the seventies. He he came around later. Wolverine didn't come around. I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess that is true because Wolverine came around in the in the the mid section of the X Men. I guess that's true, but I'm not sure. It's I think we've reached a saturation point because even back then it was still just Marvel and DC, and the independents. And this is why it's so hard to find TV like that matters and movies that matter. And we were talking about this and to find talented artists of in any medium that matter is because so many people are getting in. So much of it is hitting the market. Even if these things are worthy of becoming icons, they're not going to find enough people to accept them as that because we're getting bombarded every day by it. Well, that's true too. I also think that really, I don't think that superheroes will ever become any more popular or any more important than they are now because because the world is such that there are things going on in the world now where we could really use the intervention of a superhero. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, 9-11. Or just those ideals, you know, someone that holds to those ideals. Well, yeah. uh, They don't have to have powers. They just have to be selfless like that. Man, wouldn't it have been great to have Superman on 9-11? Yeah. But I think that's why it's important to have characters like that in the cultural consciousness. I think that's why superheroes may not become any more popular, but I don't think they'll ever become any less popular because we'll always need that that ideal. Yeah, I mean, Superman's been around for like 70 years now, 75 years, something like that. That's that's longer than most of our grandparents' lives. You know, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. that's not just a brand name. That still represents something that's important to people for something to have that kind of longevity. Well, I'm just saying that, you know, we're because we're so exposed to media and are inundated with so many terrible things in life that if we had superheroes, 
I think it, it jades people, it jades young people to the point to where, you know, they just look at the superhero and think they're silly. Oh, I hope not. I hope that's not true. I, hope I not. can see that where that might be true, but I I tend to take the other aspect when I think of something like a nine eleven comes around, and you've got these stories of like, you know, firemen are running into a building that's literally falling down around everybody. You know, so much so that most of them get killed. You know, policemen and firemen hear something like, "Oh, the 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 the, the, the twin towers are falling," and they run to it. I think, you know, these are the guys that must believe in Superman in some way. These are the guys who grew up reading Spider-Man comics. These are the guys... These are the guys that inspired Superman. You know, these are the guys that inspire these things. Yeah, and became inspired by. I think when a person has to rise above what you would ever think you could do, like capable of doing, it's because you have this this unbelievable ideal in your head, and I think that's where those ideals come from. It's like the, these... You know, the superheroes being metaphors for, like, these perfect... I mean, the Superman, come on. And that's what it is. He's the first superhero. And I think that's where people get that idea. You know, obviously, there is no Superman. Obviously, there is no Santa Claus. Obviously. Whoa, 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 know, whoa, whoa. There what? is no... Uh, yeah. Santa Claus? <laughs> what are you talking about? What is this? What? But it's a reason that we introduced those, those ideas ridiculous and caricaturesque as they are into the collective unconscious you know is a reason that we embrace them even though at face value they, they seem silly and I, I don't think that's ever going to go out of style i'm quite surprised in a somewhat cynical way that after 9-11 with all the superhero movies they, they th- they've been doing that no one's made a captain america movie yet trying to play off the patriotism that everyone suddenly felt for about 10 minutes because i mean that's an iconic character to be honest, I think that that's the effect, though. I think it had the opposite effect for Captain America because not just at 9-11, but patriotism got so, I don't know, so exploited following 9-11 that I think the idea of a Captain America has a bad connotation to people right now. Well, you know, and also that has actually played into Captain America's storyline. I don't know if you... I know they killed him. A few months ago, but they they, they killed Captain America because uh, apparently, you know, in the storyline, they they had it to where the the United States were were making all the mutants register as as threats to national security, and he refused to do it because he was... Well, you know, he was a veteran that became a mutant because they were doing experiments on him and all that kind of stuff. Well, he's not a... He wasn't a mutant, though. He was, like, they... He's like took a super serum or something. Yeah, he was. Well, born yeah, Captain but America. what I'm saying is, you know, he he had superpowers because he, you know, he was such a great American that he volunteered for this, and and, and he didn't feel like he should have to register. He went to court and all and all that, and ends up getting killed by some nut who was anti superhero. See, it's an interesting comment, isn't it? On uh, that's it's what comics are great about. The comics they they do bring the whatever is happening in those times into the stories. Good comics. I mean, not all comics, but if you read a lot of '60s stuff, you'll you'll hit on these issues. That Especially if you if you read the original the original Silver Surfer, the original X Men, that's what they were about: is prejudice. Yeah, you know. And I think it's it's really interesting how they reflect their culture in that way. That's what lends to me the validity to the theory that it is art, and it's not just pulp fun. Well, I think it's definitely art. I, what it, what annoys me about it is that uh, I think they spend too much time trying to convince people it's art 
and not enough time trying to continue to elevate the form of it because obviously I think Alan Moore who wrote you know who 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 created sophisticated storytelling in comics when he started doing Swamp Thing and then he did Watchmen and all that I think he created an epoch in the comic art form and I think following his footsteps there's Neil Gaiman or Gaiman I don't know I I I heard it said both ways but when he did Sandman he did that also you know, created an epoch. And that Sandman was just like Dark Knight where it created some conventions that were annoying because then all comic books were trying to be pretentious. Yeah. And appeal to only that gothic kind of crowd. So much so that uh, people who read Sandman had sort of a hostility towards superhero comics and conventional comic book fans. And that's that's just plain ridiculous. Yeah. But that's, really that's an epoch. Because, you know, with Dark Knight, you know, it had the same effect on comics that Blade Runner did on science fiction films. Everyone's trying to be Blade Runner, but it doesn't always play. It hardly ever plays. Yeah, Aliens, same way. Everybody tries to be aliens. Because they're copying the atmosphere instead of the content, you know. They're not doing a good story. They're just making cool-looking things. Yeah, they're not getting the concept, which is good. The aesthetic is nice, but that's not what made Blade Runner Blade Runner by itself. It contributed to the overall story, and that's what you know resonated with people. People say the same thing about 2001. I'm not a big fan of 2001, but that's the same thing that people say. You know, it created a form of telling the story visually that elevated the entire idea of it to people. You get Tim Burton making Batman movies, and everything starts looking like a blue cartoon or something. Yeah, and 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 it's an it's unfortunate because uh, I feel like they're missing the spirit of the original story. You know? Yeah, and that's why you know they're like we should get Tim Burton to do Superman. It's like no, just no, because no, no, no. Tim Burton was no. a good fit for Batman. <laughs> that but that, that's the way Hollywood thinks. It's like oh, so if we make him gritty, that's what people will like. It's like no, it's like do something true to the spirit of the character and the story. That's what draws people in. And I think that's what ha- people – I think comics are at a, another crossroads when it comes to that art form because I see a lot of underground comics like I was talking about, like uh, like Box Office Poison and like uh, – there's a, there's a girl in Atlanta that does – I think she's in Atlanta – does a comic called The Devil's Panties, which Sounds I don't know why fun. it's called that. I think just to get people's attention because yeah, it, it works. works. works on me. But, but it's another autobiographical <laughs> one. But it's like – it's told in the form of like a comic strip, like her life through the form. It's like almost in the form of three-panel comic strips put together in pages. And it's, it's – I, I really respect that because the comic strip is a very – it's such a limited art form to tell a story in, you know, that – you have to be really good at it, which is why the far side is brilliant and why the family circus isn't because you've only got so much time to sell it. You know, I just, cause your baby's cute doesn't make it funny, but I don't know that <laughs> penguin and the cowboy hat is hilarious. It's all I can say <laughs> when you really br- draw out the, the brilliance of people or the talent of people when you limit them in what they can do. We were talking about this in other forms too, but cause when, you give a guy a crayon and a piece of paper and say, make something brilliant. You really see if they got anything in them. Yeah. And I think comic books are that too because it's a visual art form that is almost as complex as a television show or a movie and the fact that it's writing – it's written language meets pictures in telling a story, which is an amazing collaboration in storytelling because it's two different parts of the brain. It's two different ways of thinking. It's abstract versus literal put into the same form. You know, so that's very that's very sophisticated. 
And these guys put these things out monthly, a lot of these guys. I mean, think of yeah. how much actual drawing is involved in a comic book. Page after oh, page yeah. after and page. And a lot of, of this art is extremely good. You know, a lot of this art is extremely, you know, well-conceived. You know, it is like a single comic book frame in some ways can have the same resonance as like one piece of art that you see somewhere framed on a wall. Yeah, they're like they're like still shots from movies, but not just random shots. Like every frame has to be a, a composed shot. And that's sort of the problem that they have is it's the delivery system that's failing them because, you know, where where are the art museums for comic books? It's hard to do because of the nature of the art form. I think it'll happen gradually because they're teaching it now in art school. Like SCAD has a sequential art program. Yeah, and and it, it has its, yeah, and sequential art is accepted as, as an I'm art, sure as a school of in, art. In the olden times, that wasn't happening. So it is becoming more accepted as an art form than it used to be. Which is good. And then you take movies like Sin City that are, are pretty much lifted frame for frame out of the comic. I mean, he actually shot it to look like the comic. That actually have Frank Miller, the actual creator, as a co-director on the film, you know? They're not treating it like, I mean, they're still translating it from one medium from the other, but they want to capture the 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 essence of the actual medium, not just the spirit of the story, but and they're the, actually the medium, using shots. That's what visual. I thought was so cool. Like, there are actual shots in a movie that are frames from the comic, you know? That's awesome. But I will say, though, the more people that do it, the less valuable it will become. Because well, and that's just like true. just like people with video cameras. Yeah, you know, now we're watching crap. Of, you know, people lighting bottle rockets in their in their butt on YouTube. Oh I mean, man, you know, you bring this up. This is this. Uh, I was talking to my buddy Dane, and he was he was schooling me on something that I'm sure he was just making up. But apparently, this is a new style of film that people are talking about called mumblecore. I have no idea where that name comes from, but it's all about you know. These these well-to-do suburban upper-class you know white kids in in their teens to early twenties making movies about themselves and their everyday crap like walkie-talkies like in this Kevin the Kevin Smith vein but without but without the, the wit and nerdiness I guess and it's called mumblecore. That's interesting. Just following each other around with video cameras recording their lives. Just making feature-length movies. And I'm not saying just following necessarily. They're, they're shot on digital a lot, but I'm not saying unscripted necessarily. But just about nothing. But these. It's like that show The Hills or whatever. The real Orange County and, and yeah, all that kind of stuff. like The Hills, that kind of stuff. The article I was Man. reading also referred mm. to it as MySpace neorealism, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah. But mumblecore is like this is becoming like a buzz, a, a genre that, that's actually going around in film festivals and stuff it's weird that there's a name for it that it's that yeah it's defined enough to need a name i was blown away and this is a real thing well it'll pass of course it'll pass but i'm on record here so if this is like the huge thing in 10 years you guys come back and, and nail me on this but you know we were calling this the myspace generation because they don't have their own movies and stuff and that's why you know because now that they all have their own cameras what are they doing they're not making stories they want people to know their story you know, everyone's the generation of me, like self-celebrity. And these guys aren't drawing comics, at least. Comics require so much work that I don't think that, you know, Greg's worried that too many people get into it. I'm sure a lot of people will get into it that probably don't need to get into it. But comics require so much work that it'll never be like video. And any, any fool can turn a camera on and dance in front of it, you know, chocolate rain or whatever, do that kind of stuff. Yeah, but uh, like me. You're talking about me again, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Was it that obvious? Have you, have you seen my YouTube? But like Sean's done comics too, oddly enough. And comics, he knows. Comics take a long time. So I, don't, I think that 
most people aren't going to get into that that don't really want to do it. So I, I think comics are safe. What's funny is I would actually I'd rather work on a video project than a comic project by far. Because it's the only reason that, The only reason yeah. comics are more preferable is that one person can conceivably do one from start to finish, and that's yeah. almost impossible in video. It is possible. I've done it, but it's almost impossible to do one that's good <laughs> doing that. <laughs> that's, the, that's really the dividing line. A brilliant person can make a brilliant comic all by himself. It's not. It doesn't have to be collaborative. Well, I hope that's. I mean, I hope that's true. I mean, I hope you know, like you say that you know, probably, and you're probably right. It's kind of like writing, I guess, in that respect. That the people, if you really want to do it and you have the talent, you'll keep doing it. Yeah, and I see new so, talent coming in. Uh, you know, and that's what encourages me. Like, I go to the comic book store. This is how I buy comics. If I'm not buying one that I already like, I just look. I look around the store until I see something that looks a little off a little different and that's you know that's how I picked up Box Office Poison Box Office Poison was wrapped in plastic it only had the name on the cover with no pictures <laughs> interesting tactic like, what is this it also was a volume that is good god let me look at this thing it is like 400 pages long or something no it's 600 it's 600 pages 600 good lord wow. $30 600 pages I have no idea what this thing is about it only says on the cover and I'm like I want to see what that is so I don't know why that worked. Something but the colors. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Imagine if you didn't. That'd be, yeah. that'd be kind of upsetting. Yeah, really. I, I wouldn't have spent thirty bucks on something I couldn't look at. Well, I don't. See. I I tend to. I have an overinflated opinion of my taste of things, of my sense of finding things, because <laughs> I always feel like I have managed to blunder into things that I really enjoy with very little effort, like authors that I, you know I'll find. I, I I do that with everything. I just pick up a book off the bookshelves. And I don't know what it is. Something about the the people who package it seem to know how to catch the eye of people like me. Well, that's cool, man. That's a good way to be. Yeah. I mean, because they'll keep you finding fresh new stuff. I mean, whereas whereas me, you know, I go and look at the latest Star Wars book or something. You know, when I go to the bookstore. Well, you know, I think the reason yeah, that so. I started doing that though is because I liked when the star they started making Star Wars books at first. I liked those, but I got you know I got bored with them. You know, it seems like anything when it first comes out is a lot more interesting. And then once they've got what they feel like is a built-in audience, they kind of start phoning it in. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have to go look for new things because that's why I get sometimes frustrated when we're putting stuff out that where are the people like us that are out there looking for new things because we're new to a, to most people, <laughs> all but 40 yeah. people. <laughs> we're new to most to most of the planet. To, to, a, to a portion of the population so big that you can't break it down into a percentage less than 100. Yeah. <laughs> they just are where you don't have enough time for all those decimals. It's like calculating pi. Like it just goes on forever. Well, you guys will be interested to know, the listeners out there, that Sean does have comics and you can buy them on his website, I think, right? Darkcrazy.com has a store. Yeah, if you go to the Dark Crazy store, we, go, we talk about my books and there's some of my comics and all that. So if you want to, you know, see if he's full of crap or not. If you're buying the comics, you, I think you'll find I am. <laughs> They're hard. They're doing a good job of selling it here, man. <laughs> comics are, that's why I respect the medium. I, you know, as much as I keep trying to make something that I really think is an awesome comic, it's hard. It's a tough medium. I think that's why I get mad when I buy these books about sequential art because they keep talking about it in an abstract form but i want to know like when you study movies you can buy books and they actually talk about you know the theory of filmmaking 
like what are the rules and you know how the angles you're supposed to shoot at and you know how you're supposed to cut and you know the motion continuity of motion that you're supposed to follow they're hard and fast rules but you know with comics it seems like it's so hard to find a book that says you know typically there's this many frames per page your font size is about this and blah blah and that's what I'm used to looking at so it's hard to do to it's hard to get involved in a format that is so free form maybe you should write that book man it sounds like there's a market there if i ever yeah, crack really. that nut i'll be glad to do it I'll, that'll be my break into comics is writing a book about how to write comics and that what that people who can't do anything do they just write books about how to well you could write a critical study of comics that would be pretty cool I don't think that you've read enough comics. Yeah. You probably you're as smart as some of these dudes that write about comics. <laughs> you're I'm as sure. smart as some people who write comics about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're doing anything else. Anymore. Lord, yeah. Let me pick up one more project. Yeah, you quit wasting time on this loser go nowhere podcast. <laughs> yeah, really. I thought this was where I was getting my insights out. No. Yeah, but you want something that people actually see, Sean. So uh, there's a store anyway on darkcrazy.com. He's got, Sean has novels on there that he's written and he's got comic books and uh, it's also some cool t-shirts and mugs and stuff. You never know. You find all kinds of weird stuff on there. Check it out. Darkcrazy.com is our mother site. TV Ate My Dinner is our site. Uh, All of our episodes are on there, every single one. So you can go back and listen to them if you just can't get enough. Yeah. Make sure you check out TV at my dinner the early years. Yeah. Yeah. Year one. The early year. (laughs) Last year. (laughs) So um, also check us out on YouTube. I'm trying to steer more people to see some of our sketches that we shot. I want people to see the videos because I love the feedback on the videos because that's where you really see if we're full of crap. We've done a lot of weird stuff, but that's youtube.com slash dark crazy TV is our TV channel. You can see what we looked like when we were younger. I think we're all represented on there. Is Greg in one of our videos on there? Uh, briefly. You're at least, you're at least in why our mail is late. I know that one, but I think you, you yeah, he's in the detective sketch too. I think. Yeah. yeah the detective and sketch there's some too. home video stuff there probably. If you guys want to, I don't know why a lot of people on YouTube like to watch home videos of people. It's <laughs> interesting. It's, it's voyeurism. They, I guess that that's what feeds. There's a video of Sean drinking urine on there. Awesome. Yeah, that's on yours. <laughs> I won't even correct you because it sounds cooler. Yeah, well, that that if that doesn't get your interest, then I don't. I have nothing to offer. I want people watching every video on the YouTube going. I don't see him drinking urine. We have so many websites, man. We've got uh, CoolerThenewProductions.com. That's the sketch comedy stuff we did in college. And you can see, you can listen to some of our some of our audio sketches are on that. Yeah, one. we did audio comedy, so that that's easy for you podcasters to get into. We got uh, bellswake.com. That's the band I'm in. We've got free songs on there, of course. So there's lots of stuff for you to check out if you're into it. But um, next week, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. Something fascinating, no doubt. As is our want to do. I like the silence so, that follows. <laughs> next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got yeah. nothing. <laughs> well, we'll see you then. It, I just want to leave them hanging. I wonder what they'll talk about. Who knows? We'll see you guys next week. My name's Brooks. I'm Sean. And I'm Greg. And uh, we'll see you in the funny papers. Ah, get it. Comics. Comics. Funny. Just end it. Dog crazy. Dog.